Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. You've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and if you don't, it's okay because we're actually going to only look at one verse tonight, so you can probably just hear it and remember it. Uh, I know that y'all have been doing this spiritual emphasis week here at the high school and the idea of kind of looking at the grand theme of all of Scripture in four parts, creation, uh, God made everything, He certainly made people to have this relationship with Him, and then fall, uh, the people chose to sin and to rebel and in a sense follow Satan and his temptations, and tonight we're going to look at redemption. And so I want to make this uh, personal and practical, and so before we even kind of dive in, I want you to think about this question. What do you think is the worst thing uh, that's ever happened in the history of the world? And I don't want you to try to give the right answer. I don't want you to try to give the technically right Sunday school or Bible class answer. I want you to think more at an emotional, kind of visceral level. You understand what I mean? And so you might go historical, right? You might think, well, the worst thing I've ever heard of is Hitler and the Nazis killing six million Jews. Or you might think about... What America did to the slaves uh, a couple of hundred years ago. Or you might go something more real world today. Uh, what Russia's doing to Ukraine and innocent civilians are being executed. Or what happened in Afghanistan and how they treat women terrible over there. Or you might go a lot closer to home. Something like, you know what, I've got a good friend that was abused by his dad or coach or whatever. And that's just evil and I hate it. Or it might even be something in your own life. Maybe wrestling with some kind of depression or anxiety that even makes you consider suicide sometimes. And you're like, why would God make me to live in a world and have to deal with stuff like this? So I want you to think about, just for you personally, what is it right now that just seems like is the most wrong, is the most broken, is the most backwards, is the most, maybe you might even say, evil thing going on on planet Earth? Okay. Now, um, this is one interesting thing. I get to I work for a ministry. I get to travel a lot. I get to have a lot of different conversations with all different kinds of people, literally around the world. And there's one type of person that I've never met in all my travels. And I, I read a lot. You know, I study a lot. Not because I'm super smart or spiritual. It's just because that's my job. If I don't do that, I get fired. I already get paid to do that. But in all my readings and all my listenings, I've never met one person that says, "Hey, life on planet Earth is perfect. It's a utopia. There's no problems." Have you? Right? It doesn't matter if somebody is an atheist or a Christian, a Muslim or a Jew, a conservative, a liberal, a libertarian, a, you know, a planet green, you know, redeem the planet, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. They will all say, no, no, something is wrong with life on planet Earth and it's got to change. Now, we might hotly debate what is it that's wrong, but we'd all agree something's wrong. Something's got to change. So uh, it's nice to have at least one piece of agreement in the world. Now, we're going to look at this one verse tonight. Okay? It comes after what I think you probably looked at maybe this morning with Noah or yesterday whenever he spoke from Genesis 3. After mankind chose to sin, chose to rebel, chose to follow Satan rather than God. And just God starts to speak. And he's really speaking a curse on Satan. Just one verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Look at it. I will put enmity between you, speaking to Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And what we're going to talk about tonight, actually, is the concept of redemption. 
which is interesting because it doesn't, the word itself doesn't show up in that verse, but the concept certainly does. And just three brief points, kind of to get our idea, this, our minds around the idea of redemption from Genesis 3.15, okay? War, wrath, and winning. So, easy to remember. Now, if we fast-forwarded, don't worry, we're not going to do that, okay? But if we went all the way to the book of Revelation, there are two or three different times where, like, Revelation 12.9 tells us that the serpent in the garden is really Satan himself from the very beginning, okay? So, the first thing that God says in verse 15 is he says enmity, okay? In, the, in Hebrew... Don't worry, I'm not going to nerd out too much here, okay? Just hang with me for a second. In Hebrew, you didn't have exclamation points. So if you wanted to emphasize something, what you did is you put the word at the very beginning of the sentence. So if we were reading this in Hebrew, it would literally start out enmity. And you're like, great, that helps me none because I don't even know what that word means because it's not a word that we use very much. But it basically means hatred. It basically means war. Now, so it's almost like... Imagine if you got a newspaper, a lot of people don't even get newspapers anymore, but if tomorrow morning you open the newspaper and the bold headline was, war has been declared. Or maybe you pulled up, you know, your news feed and the very first thing, war has been declared. You turn on the news, breaking news, there's a war. It's shouting at us. Now some of y'all are probably thinking, wait a second, I thought this was supposed to be kind of like the positive talk, right? We already had the fall and sin and depressing talk. This is supposed to be redemption, like good news. What's this guy doing? Trust me. Okay, just hang with me here. But think about this. Basically, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, what they said is, Satan, we like your plan. We like what you're saying. Makes a lot of sense to us. We're going to break our loyalty to God, and we're going to become your followers. And part of God's curse that he steps in and says, not going to let it happen. I'm not going to let Satan take total charge of the entire human race. I'm going to make sure there's always war between at least some human beings and Satan and his followers. Does that make sense? So that's good news. I mean, I mentioned Ukraine a minute ago. Let's just think about that for a second. It's terrible what's going on in Ukraine. There's a war. People are dying. People are suffering. But it's not as bad as it could be because at least the Ukrainians are fighting back, right? I mean, what if Russia had come in and just totally dominated Ukraine and just enslaved everybody instantly and there was no fight? That's even worse. At least they're fighting back. It's a good thing sometimes when there's war, when there's a reason to have a war. And when sin is in the world, there is a reason to have a war. Now, some of y'all, you're probably like, I don't really watch the news. I don't keep up with politics. How many, and I would like to see a show of hands on this one, okay? How many of you have ever seen or at least heard of the movie Blood Diamond? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, it was popular at least maybe 10 minutes. Uh, I think it's a great movie. It's got a little bit of colorful language and violence, so if you're hypersensitive to that kind of stuff, you know, maybe don't watch it with your mom. Uh, but, you know, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's, it's not a factual movie, but it's based in some historical fact about some of these African nations where sometimes in civil wars, some of what the rebel troops will do, and this is factually based, they will go and they will kidnap little kids from villages. Good law-abiding families. They'll break in, maybe they'll kill their mom, and they'll kidnap the kids, and they take them, and they brainwash them, essentially, and they teach them to kill other people, and they basically make them child soldiers. And they put them in the front lines. And they teach them to carry an AK-47 and go out. They basically turn them into murderers. It's terrible. Now imagine a situation like that. If all of a sudden God spoke in and said, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm not going to let the little kids be loyal to the kidnappers. There's always going to be a hatred 
between the little kids and the kidnappers, you'd say, that's a good thing. Sometimes hate's a good thing. Sometimes the war's a good thing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And that's part of what God is saying right after this thing, whole thing happens. Look at the phrase, okay, back to verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There's a little bit of debate about how to best translate, interpret, apply that, but here's the best understanding is this, is that it's between the followers of Satan and the followers, the true followers of Christ and God. Okay, now again, this may seem a little harsh to us, right? It's not nice to walk around the halls of Broward Christian School saying, that guy's a follower of Satan, okay? And I'm not saying you should do that. I am saying this, though, in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ, in John 8, 44, when he's having a debate with the false religious leaders, the Pharisees, one of the things he says to them, he says, you guys are of your father, the devil. And he doesn't literally mean Satan's their daddy, like Satan slept with her mom, but he's saying, you're one of his followers. You're loyal to him. And this is kind of maybe a harsh reality, but, it, but it, we ought to just go ahead and get it out there. At the end of the day, from a spiritual standpoint, there's really only two teams. There's the followers of Satan and there's the followers of God. There's no neutral ground. You know, like, I just want to be like a nice, you know, I want to be Sweden in the spiritual war. I just want to be nice and be friends with everybody. Can't do it. Not an option. You got to pick a side. Okay. Um, so that's why they hated Jesus. I mean, if he was saying stuff to, that like us, we might be kind of mad too. There's a war going on. The second point, wrath. Wrath. Some of you are like, what about the positive stuff? I promise. Hang with me. Okay. There's a war and there's wrath. Look at kind of the next phrase in that verse. He shall bruise your head. I mean, what is that talking about? That's talking about a man, a human being, a king coming up to a snake and a serpent and stepping on his head and killing him and crushing him. And so, again, and you probably already covered some of this this morning, so I'm going to be super brief. When we look at all the pain and suffering in the world, and some of us, I bet, we may have not said this out loud, but sometimes I think we may feel this in our hearts. We may think this in our minds. Can the world ever be put right again? The world is so messy. The world is so complicated. The world is so filled with pain and sickness and sadness and suffering. It's, it's almost gross and overwhelming sometimes. Part of what you've got to remember is there's a war going on. And part of the war is God is coming to take planet Earth back over. And part of the way that he does that is he pours out his wrath on his enemies. Again, that's not nice and fun to talk about, but it's reality. There's a war going on, and God is pouring out his wrath on his enemies. Just think about some of the famous Bible stories that I bet we all know. When God said, hey, Genesis 6, you don't even have to go very far. The world is so wicked, it's filled with these followers of Satan. I'm going to wipe everybody out. But I'm going to protect Noah. Noah trusted me. Noah's godly. His family gets in. Everybody else, they get wrath. That sounds terrible. What was God doing? He was wiping out the evil, violent, perverse people that lived on planet Earth. David and Goliath. David wasn't perfect, but he was a follower of God. And Goliath wasn't. He was this pagan guy. And David conquered. Okay? Now, some of y'all may say, okay, thank you for the uh, little Sunday school lesson there. I remember some of those Bible stories. But when I just look around in modern-day America and the rest of the world, I'll just be honest. Sometimes it seems like the good guys are the guys that are getting the wrath. Sometimes it seems like it's going very bad on planet Earth for God's people. You ever felt that way? 
Well, you ever heard the phrase, you can lose a battle and still win the war? You know, supposedly I like to read like military history sometime, and I read one guy that said, when you really boil it down, George Washington technically only won three battles. It means he lost a lot of other battles. But he won the right battles to win the war. Think about Briarwood's football team this year, their two big victories early in the season. Pretty dramatic, weren't they? You can lose the first three quarters, and if you win the fourth quarter big enough, you win the whole game. And in some sense, it's almost more exciting when it goes down like that. It's almost more memorable. It's almost more inspiring. It feels like a Rocky movie, right? Do y'all even watch Rocky movies anymore? You know, Rocky was the famous guy that gets the snot beat out of him for 14 and a half rounds, and in the last minute, he knocks out the champ. Sometimes that's the way that God likes to do it. You may say, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is the one winning, but you've got to trust by faith that he actually is. Okay? Again, I'm using some historical illustrations here because some of the ones that resonate the most with me. Think about World War II. We've all heard of that, even if you're not a history buff. Hitler, one of the, one of the kind of most evil men to ever live. He started World War II in 1939. By 1942... He had most of Europe dominated, seemed to be at the height of his power. He was talking about a thousand-year reign. By 1945, he blew his own brains out in depression. You may say, that's kind of dark. He got wrath. He was a wicked man doing wicked things on planet Earth, and he got wrath. In the long run, God's winning, I promise. Which brings us to the third point. And you're like, man, I'm really ready for that positive point. Here it is. God's winning. God's team is winning. It's not just that God is winning, but if you're on God's team, you're part of the winning team. You're being swept up into his victory, whether you feel like that in the moment or not. And guys, part of the reason that it feels like we're losing sometimes and life isn't getting better, but it's getting worse, even for the Christians, even for the believers, is one of God's ways that he likes to win is he likes to win sometimes through weakness. It's almost like he says, I'm going to beat the devil with both of my hands tied behind my back. God likes to win through weakness. Okay, so look at how this verse ends. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Do you see how at one point it was talking about the offspring, the woman and her offspring, Satan and his offspring, like all these people. And then it boils down and it gets real personal and it gets singular. There's going to be one guy that's going to crush your head, Satan. You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to snap at him. You're going to hurt him. But he's ultimately going to crush you. And guys, this is the very first prediction in the entire Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ. The true son of David. The guy that would be born, that would leave the safe place of heaven. That would enter into this world of suffering and sickness and sadness. He didn't have to. He chose to. And he came in in a position of weakness not rich and powerful, as a weak little poor baby. And he lived a whole life where Satan, in a sense, his whole life was snapping at his heels, tempting him in every single way that we get tempted. But here's the difference. Whereas we give in seemingly almost all the time, Christ never did. Not for a second. And in one sense, his whole life was a crushing of Satan, a rejection of his temptation. He's like, hey, Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. I'm never going to blow it my whole life long. Every single temptation I will reject, I will put down, I will say no to. And so what do we see in Christ? We see at least two things. He's a great model. 
that we should model our lives after. But much more importantly, he's not just a model, he's a substitute. He's a savior. Because the, the greatest fulfillment of this verse is when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. He didn't have his hands tied behind his back. He had his hands nailed to a piece of wood. And that was Satan in one sense, seemingly, Satan's greatest moment of victory. I got him, finally. And yet it was really Satan's greatest moment of defeat, right? That's part of the way that God loves to win through weakness. He loves to take tragedies and turn them into triumphs. And he's a master at it. And so if you're following Christ and you feel like you're in the midst of a tragedy and you're like, there's no hope, it'll never get fixed, it'll never get better, I feel stuck. That's the lie of Satan. And you've got to trust God that in the long run, though you may suffer, you're going to win if you're on his team. Okay, so let's just think about application for just a second. I know, I know that oftentimes the Christian life feels like one step forward, two steps back. Right, like an emotional roller coaster, and the lows feel like they keep getting lower. And the highs sometimes feel like, I don't know if that high was as high as the last time. It can feel depressing at times. It can feel like we're not winning. But I want to think about this story that I mentioned a minute ago and just go a little bit deeper in it. When David killed Goliath, you remember the context of that before David got there? David was like just a little shepherd boy. And his dad said, hey, David, would you take some cheese and crackers? This is kind of the modern day translation, okay? His dad said, hey, David, your big brothers, they're warriors. They're up there fighting the Philistines. Would you take some cheese and crackers up and just visit and check on them? And David gets there, and this Goliath, this nine and a half foot guy is coming out saying, I defy the living God of Yahweh and all this stuff. And David's like, who's that guy? And they're like, he's a giant. And they're all terrified. They're hiding in the ditch. And David's like, I'll fight him. I'll kill him. And David does. Rock to the head, chops his head off with his own sword. And you remember what happened after that? All the little normal average Israelites that had been hiding and cowering in fear like little losers. When David won a victory, they jumped out of the ditch and they joined the fight. They joined the pursuit. They were inspired. They had a captain. They had a victor. They had a savior, at least physically speaking. And guys, when we genuinely trust in Christ, though our life may be hard, though we may keep stumbling, though we might feel like, I don't feel like I'm getting that much better. I feel like sometimes I'm in neutral. And sometimes I feel like I'm in reverse. If you're genuinely, continually trusting in Christ, sincerely repenting, you will be ultimately swept up in His victory. Useful to Him in the kingdom about bringing redemption to the whole planet. And there's really no more good news than that. I mean, that, if, if that doesn't encourage our socks off, nothing probably will. There's just one more thought by way of conclusion. The word redemption doesn't actually show up in the Bible until the very end of Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 48. Um, and I lied. I said we're only going to look at one verse. You don't have to turn there. It's Genesis chapter 48, verse 16. And this is Jacob, who lived a long life. And if you know anything about Jacob, he didn't have the greatest life in the universe. A lot of sin, a lot of struggles, a lot of stumbles. But at the end of his life, here's how he sums it up. The angel, and he's speaking about God, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. You see, the idea, the idea of redemption in the Bible is this. It's like a family member that loves you so much that if you get stuck in a really bad place, maybe you went into debtor's prison, maybe you became a POW, 
that they would come and they'd pay the ransom. They would do whatever it took to get you out of prison, to get you out of the POW camp because they loved you that much and they were fixated on you. And Jacob says, that's the way God's treated me. I did a lot of stupid stuff in my life. I did a lot of sin. And yet God kept pursuing me and he redeemed me. He bought me back. And guys, you know where I'm going with this. Before we get there, let me just give you one more little uh, blood diamond reference. Okay, and listen, if you haven't seen the movie, you ought to go watch it for the ending scene. Because what happens is there is this little boy that's caught and he's brainwashed and he's turned into a murderer. He's turned into a child soldier. But his dad never gives up hope. And his dad fights, his dad suffers, his dad pursues, his dad finally tracks him down. But then when he get there, he almost has to coax the kid to come back. I'm your father. I'm your daddy. You don't belong with these men. You don't belong with these rebels. You belong with me. I love you. I'm committed to you. And he finally is able to woo his son back to him. And guys, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the cross, that was what the Father was doing in Christ. Saying, this is how much I love you. This is what I'm willing to pay. See, God is a king that executes wrath on his enemies. Those that refuse to repent will get the wrath of God. But God is such a glorious king that he's not just a conqueror, he's a savior. And he says, you know what I'm also going to do for some of my enemies? I'm not going to conquer them with wrath. I'm going to conquer them with love. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to suffer. Because guys, I don't know if this went through any of your minds when I was making that point, but even as I was writing it went through my mind, it's like, I deserve wrath. I deserve wrath every day. Maybe I don't deserve it quite as much as Hitler, but I still deserve a lot. And I'm not getting wrath. I'm getting mercy. How's that happening? Because about 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ got my wrath on the cross. So now I can get his love. I can get his grace. I can get his mercy. And so can anybody that trusts him. That's the message of redemption. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We don't love you near as much as we ought to. Uh, but we're grateful. We're thankful. We want to love you more. We want to honor you more with lives of genuine faith and sincere repentance. I pray that you would give us a fresh sense of awe and wonder that you're such a holy God, you're such a righteous God, that you are a conquering king. And yet in all your might, you're also merciful and you're tender and you're compassionate and you're a loving father that pursues us. For any of us that are hearing this that don't have faith, give us the gift of faith. And for those of us that do, by your grace, have faith, would you grow us up in faith? I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org. 